every stage I've been on, the Paddison programme has been brilliant for. So that early stage, it gave me so much hope. It kind of made me feel empowered that I could take back a bit of responsibility. I could work with the doctors. I could do something. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier and happier life. In this podcast episode, I have Yvonne from the UK, and we are going to go through her story and talk about her immense improvements with rheumatoid arthritis. And a theme for this episode is going to be along the lines of doing the Patterson program in parallel to medications and the interpretation of progress and how to taper off those medications and observing the uh a low state of symptoms that remain as medications are tapered. So Yvonne, after some tech problem, we are set up and we're ready to go. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. It's lovely to be here. Hi, Clint. Hello. <laughs> now, uh, give, us the, uh, give us the snapshot. Uh, how bad okay. were you at one point and how do you feel today? I will give you a snapshot. Yeah, I was really bad at the start. Um, in fact, why it's so lovely to talk to you or one of the reasons is because when I was when it all first started with me and I was diagnosed it was so bad and and so painful and I used to watch the the podcasts all the time they were absolutely brilliant for me I used to like soak up all the information from them because you always thought someone had some tiny little snippet they could tell you that would really help and I loved it and but I I remember lying there being propped up in bed the podcast thinking wow how how amazing to be at that stage because these people Clint's talking to seem um sort of free of pain and they're smiling and laughing and it's like they're leading normal lives because I, I was lying there like a, you know like a zombie unable to move and I just thought wow to to get to that stage would be amazing so that's great because I'm here and talking to you and I'm at that stage. And so that is absolutely amazing for me because, like to go back to the start, I was really bad. I was, um, it started for me and I know the date because um, I really felt my knees go. It was the 9th of December um, 2017. So right at the end of that year. And I was about to go and visit um, a friend of mine. And um, I got up and it was really weird, could hardly get out of bed. Both my knees just wouldn't work. And I said to my partner, this is strange because I'm about to go visit my friend. I've got, I've got a long train journey. and I really feel something weird has happened to my knees. And he said, oh, it'll be all right. It'll loosen up. Fine, go and enjoy yourself. So I had this horrific train journey where I had to stand. The train was crowded. I was going off to Liverpool to see my friend. And um, I thought, wow, I can hardly cope with this. I can't deal with it. It's getting really bad. And I got there and had a, the most horrendous weekend where my knee joints were just awful. I felt dreadful. I felt dreadful landing on a friend in that state because it just seemed to get really bad. She was lovely. And um, so that's when it started. And it escalated um really quickly kind of that was the start and then over a matter of weeks every joint became inflamed I couldn't move my hands I couldn't I couldn't lift my arms just about every joint and I, I was like um, I just like slowly you know came to a halt that's what it felt like like I, I was sort of rusting up and it was literally in a matter of weeks and I went to my doctor I think just before Christmas. So this, this was like early December it started. And just before Christmas, I said to my partner, I've got to go and see the doctor because this is something very, very strange is happening to me. And I'd never heard of rheumatoid arthritis. I didn't have a clue what it was. So I went to the doctor, a lovely young woman, and um, I think she was a trainee or something. And I 
absolutely it took me I don't know how long to get from the chair in the waiting room to her waiting at the door I I was like walking so slowly I could hardly move and I sat down uh, I think I might have burst into tears and I said I just said to her I don't know what's happening to me I feel like I am seizing up completely and she took one look at me and said "Hmm." I think we'll organise a blood test. And you know what? I think I might um, might need to make an appointment for you to see a rheumatologist at the hospital. She said that straight away. And she, I think just one look at me and the way that I was moving. And less as she did, she, she organised things pretty quickly because I saw, I don't know how I got through. Oh, she gave me some naproxen, painkillers. And I have to admit, they helped. I did feel a difference when I got home in my fingers, when I'd taken the painkillers. It was only, of course, when I did more of your programme and realised now I should be taking that stuff, that I stopped taking it completely. But they did help for a few days. And I think they must have helped me get through the Christmas period. And I went to see the rheumatologist um, on the 30th of Jan in the new year and was diagnosed with RA. Um, they gave me a, a steroid shot, didn't do anything, never felt anything. They said, you know, they put me on 15 uh, milligrams of methotrexate. It was later put up to 20 in March. So a couple of months later, they, they gave me up. And uh, it took me for a couple of x-rays, I think, obviously, to check my bone situation or whatever. And uh, that was it. I was told I'd got rheumatoid arthritis. So. I think that's when I, 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 it was quite bleak, you know, I, I wasn't in there too long. And I mean, they're all lovely, but, you know, busy, busy people, busy department. And I was sent leaflets of, you know, dismal looking diagrams of what I'd got to look forward to and um, how, you know, how they could help gadgets to help me take the tops off jars and things like that and all that stuff. And then I'm, um, information a little bit of information about the drugs and and stuff like that so I think I just came back and I was in shock and I obviously googled like mad and I came across you I mean more or less straight away I got home I must have been googling away rheumatoid arthritis came across um, a talk by you I don't think it was your TED talk I think think you were talking at a sort of convention or dinner or something it was noises of people eating in the background but but that was the first time I heard you speak and then I think I did see your TED talk and I started to just start to really look at what you were doing before I joined your program which I think was at the end of Feb March so it's about a month later I was doing lots of reading I was getting the idea that it was plant-based that there were a lot of green juices and I was getting that idea and so I think more or less started thinking, I think I've got to do this straight away. And as you know, I did did join your programme in March. And so it was only kind of a month between being diagnosed at the hospital, finding out what had happened, and then I was on your programme. So it is it almost runs alongside, which is amazing I have to say because think I was been thinking about it over the last couple of days knowing that we're going to talk and I was thinking wow if I hadn't found your program then I I think it would have been a very very bleak time for me I can't imagine going through what I've been through and not not working alongside you and your program I can't imagine it because just leaving the hospital with the you know those diagrams that bit of information um, telling me to come perhaps come and see the physio and kick in with a bit of exercise I, I think I would have felt very very bleak really so came across you and this was something different you kind of you know I thought wow perhaps there is another way there's a bit of hope here I can do something. I can start to help myself because I've always been I'm quite proactive and I like to do stuff. I can't just sit back. And so that was absolutely brilliant. Having having and I leapt into the program as soon as I joined, full on. And um, you know, the juices, the plant-based, talked to my partner about it, said what I was going to do, and um 
this was totally new to me. I wasn't a vegetarian. I was a meat eater. I ate all the wrong things. I thought I ate quite healthily, but you know, it was dairy. It was meat. I had eggs. I had fresh veg and whatever, but all that stuff. And so for me, it was like overnight, I'm now doing this. I'm following the Patterson program overnight. And I just was totally, uh, and I did so much research and listened to podcasts and, and, and took so much in. I kind of learned all that I could. I was thirsty to sort of really find out what I could do to help myself, really. But I have to say that the first few months, I think that the, the inflammation was like really out of control for a few months because it's, it's a weird one. But I was looking back and it, something happened three weeks after starting your program, three weeks into March. Um, I've, I, in one of my notebooks, I've put pain completely melted away from both shoulders. And I think that's what made me think, oh, what's going on here? Because I hadn't really noticed a lot. I was in agony, but the, I didn't, I wasn't one of those people who the cleanse, the cleansing juices had an amazing effect. That didn't seem to happen. And so I, but I just kept going with the program. But about three weeks in, the pain went from my shoulders because I hadn't been able to lift my arms at all. And I put in my notes, I can make more of a fist. I can almost make a fist with both hands. And for me, that was like, okay, something's happening here. What, what it is, I'm not sure. Is it the drugs? Is it the Patterson program? But something is happening. So that helped to, to keep me going. Because I think my inflammation was like all over the place. I think when I first, even though I was so bad, it still got worse. And for the first months, until about May, June, that summer, it really, I mean, I, I was bedridden for about a month in April, I think. It, it got so bad. And I looked at my ESR results and they kind of started off, CRP was 15 when they took my first blood test. My ESR results were about 30. And then like February time, they were 34, uh, March going up to 40 something. And by the time I got to April and May, my ESR was like 87 and it was really high. And so I was in so much agony, Clint. I, I, I hardly moved. I, I just, you know, going to the bathroom was like about 10 minutes because I would like sit on the edge of the bed and I'd move to my daughter's bedroom and bed because simply because I couldn't stand the thought the pain would have been horrific and it, it I had to do that I had to just sleep on my own my daughter doesn't live at home anymore so I was in a different bed and the other thing that was great was that her bed was about four inches higher from the ground which doesn't sound a lot but when you're really struggling to stand up with bad knees and whatever it made all the difference to me being able to stand but it was horrific just getting up to go to the bathroom was horrific it was like needles in my knees and, and I would I would move myself to the edge of the bed and then kind of psychologically psych myself up to standing up don't know if you recall really like that but but kind of thinking okay I know this is going to be painful I would have to like really talk myself into being able to stand to get up to go to the bathroom and I also remember one one night lying there and my, my shoulders were a bit cold and I honestly the easiest way to pull the duvet up to cover my shoulders was to use my teeth. And I used that because I couldn't lift my arms. I'm, I'm thinking back to this now, thinking this is crazy that so much pain and so much disability, absolutely crazy. And, uh, oh, my goodness, you never, ever want to revisit that again. And so... It kind of, it was almost as though when I went to the rheumatologist and they diagnosed it, this disease was just beginning and it was, it no, nothing was going to stop it for a month or two. It was like, right, this is the first roar, if you like, in, in your body. And, and I'm good and it's going to go this. And so I don't think anything would have stopped it. I certainly think what I was doing helped to slow it down, but it ha it's almost like it had to get that bad and nothing was going to stop it. So then, 
when I looked in my notebook about, um, I've put in my notebook, oh, a, a bit of a learning curve, a bit of a healing curve. Actually, today was downstairs for the whole day and able to not be so fatigued that, you know, I had to go back to bed. And so I started to come out of it that summer. I actually sat outside, started to exercise more because, I mean, I think I said this to you once. You, I was listening. You were chatting away on a podcast or something. And I was lying in the bed round about sort of the early stages. And you were saying things like, you've got to exercise. You've got to keep moving. And I was lying there going, oh, for goodness sake what are you talking about I can't even stand but then you said something that really was excellent you said look you know it doesn't matter if you can only move a few inches if you can only move for a few seconds do it and that really struck a chord with me and so you know I literally I did I did I stood next to the bed doing a few Bikram poses that must have looked like nothing like Bikram poses for a few seconds and then I would fall back onto the bed so I started you just said do what you can and I thought okay you can't lie here forever like this do what you can and I did start to exercise and I started, and my, my, my daughter came to visit me and said, okay, mom, how many laps can you do around the kitchen table? She's a little like me, you know, get something done. And so she forced me to walk around the kitchen table six times <laughs> and said, okay, like tomorrow you can try for seven. So I had, I had these, you know, this was lovely. And a, a neighbor had, um, had injured a foot and she had a spare pair of crutches and they were brilliant. So I borrowed those and I used them for about a couple of months because they kind of enabled me to move and walk when I don't think I would have been able to. So I actually used those crutches for a couple of times. And in fact, one of the blood tests I went down to at the hospital, which is about a mile away, I went on the crutches, I walked on the crutches. So they helped me to move as well. So that was the start. It was really bad, really bad. I every every joint I can think of, even my jaw and my toes and and um, very bad first few months. And then from then on, just steadily getting better from then on. Not, not in a straight line. Uh, it would get better and then go back again. And, and that's another thing that I've learned through this process. You don't, I certainly didn't heal in a straight line I just kind of yeah but I but I did I was healing all the time I like I kind I have this sort of metaphor where I say it's it's now that I look back on it to me it's like the tide coming in at the seaside and you know you see the waves wash up on the shore and that would be my like healing surge I'd feel good for a week or two but then they roll back again and that'll be oh something you have a mishap or whatever and then they roll back up again and you're having a good time but then you know you exercise a bit too much and it's a setback uh, but actually all the time and you hardly notice it the tide is coming in it's inching in and the waves are coming in and that's what my healing felt like sort of coming and going ebbing and flowing but actually when I look back on it and I look back on my notes there was a steady progress it was hard work the the diet I mean yeah two things obviously that everyone mentions and it's such a major part of your program the diet and the exercise and I certainly had to do both you know, I wasn't one of these people who didn't have to do much exercise. The exercise made a big difference to me, a big difference. And uh, the diet, I just went full in, full in, just like the juices. Um, my partner was absolutely brilliant. You know, a week or two in and, and he'd got me a, a Vitamix from an auction site, a reconditioned Vitamix, which I'm still using now. And it's brilliant. He'd got me a juicer because realized we needed that for the celery juice and and, and whatever and um he got me a stand so that i could 
stand my bike on it and it turned it into an exercise bike. I could do that in the hallway. It didn't, the bike wouldn't go anywhere, but I could use it. And, and he was absolutely amazing. So I, so I did both the, the diet full on, absolutely just changed the way I ate overnight. Lots of green leaves, lots of juices, some smoothies, salad, salad, salad. And um, I lost lots of weight, huge amount of weight. And then, of course, you get people being concerned about you because you've lost a lot of weight. So you have to sort of talk through that one with them. And um, the exercise, exercise just so important. I, I was reading in my notes, it said something like, and that exercise for three full hours and realized felt so much better for hours afterwards today and so I had to do that and I had this so for the first two years as soon as I could sort of move a little bit more again I had this regime of exercise and I've got a local gym it's in a little hotel about two and a half miles up the road and I would I got into this little routine. I'll explain it to you, but then I'll tell you how, how it worked. I would drive to the hotel to begin with, um, sometimes using two hands to move a gear stick, but it, I was safe. I didn't do anything not safe. And I would drive to the hotel and I would go into the gym and go on the exercise bike. And later on, I'd also go on the rowing machine and the cross trainer. But to begin with, I'd just go on the exercise bike because you'd talk quite a lot about that and it, these were a big problem for me then I would move to the next little room and do a few weights then I would go upstairs and put my swimsuit on then I would go into the sauna and do Bikram moves in the sauna because I learned I taught myself off you know online course and then I would just remember the moves and I did them in the sauna because that was the closest I could get to a hot pod right I'd do them in the sauna I'm sure people thought I was crazy then I would go down to the swimming pool swim as much as I could then I'd go back have a shower and do a bit of a Wim Hof at the end of the shower and have 60 seconds of absolute cold so that was my routine it would take me two or three hours a day but I can't tell what's so wonderful is how that changed during the course of the two years. So when I first did that routine, like I said, I drove to the hotel, could hardly move, would, would make my way in. The exercise bike, I wouldn't put it on any resistant number at all. I couldn't, though, and I would get on it and be on it for about two minutes. You'd think I'd run a marathon. I would be so exhausted, so I'd get off it. Then a few weights, exhausted. Then I would pull myself up the stairs. I used to have to pull myself upstairs. And honestly, even getting changed for the swimming pool was exhausting. I'd do the Bikram yoga moves and uh, do a bit of swimming. And when I was getting changed and, and dressed again after the swimming, Oh my goodness, I, I would just have to sit and rest in the middle of drying myself and getting changed because it was like, I was so fatigued. So that would be the start. That was the, it was the same routine, but that was the level that I was doing it. And uh, what is so wonderful is by, you know, the end of the two years, of and I did it for most days. There were some days I missed, but this was a daily thing. But by the end of the two years, I was cycling up to the gym, two and a half miles, going off on my bike. I would get on the exercise bike and I think I got up to about resistance nine. And I'd be on it for about 25 minutes. I'd then go do some rowing machine. I'd do the cross trainer. I loved the cross trainer because it moved your knee joints without putting weight on them you know you sort of you're moving them but you're not hitting them down on the ground so it worked really well I'd do the weights for much longer much heavier than I had before I'd nip up the stairs no pulling myself up the stairs I would do the Bikram yoga I'd have a really good swim up and down and I would cycle home again so that is the difference same routine but I, you know, it, it helped me to do the same things and see how I could improve with all of them. 
so it was full on. You, your, I, I needed to do your whole program full on to take massive action, do the diet and um, do the exercise. And uh, yeah, I mean, I say now it's nearly four years now, but we're coming up to, you know, the, the next in January, it will be four years that I was diagnosed. And there's like no comparison. And now I've got a little bit of inflammation in one elbow, but it's getting, I thought I'd got rid of it. Do you remember I, I put on your program, hey, uh, my elbow's better. Well, it came back again. But, um, and that elbow joint is still little, but, but it's good. I still do lots of swimming. And I think I'm getting there with it. It's not, it's not painful like it was. It's just a tiny bit swollen. And apart from that, you know, sometimes my knees can feel a little bit stiff if I don't look after myself. But otherwise, I I live now and I kind of almost, almost forget. I'm still taking methotrexate. I'm still taking 12.5 milligrams. But for I'm just living a completely normal life and eating very healthy food and exercising a lot more than I probably ever would. And so um, it, it's actually quite amazing. And so although I, I don't class myself as one of the people who did your program, who sort of, you know, it all happened within a few months and, and, and it was great and it all fell away. And I, I sort of think, no, I was a slow burner, but definitely have been moving in the right direction all the way, all the way. And yeah, it's absolutely amazing. That's my before and after. Wow. Uh, throughout that period as well, we mentioned just before we hit record here that you were also on sulfasalazine. So you've come off that, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. They put me on that probably, they put me on that actually in May when it first started. So, you know, I said the information was getting really bad in those early months. And I think that's when a consultant thought, well, hang on, let's, let's, you know, do this thing where we put, put on two drugs and have them running side by side. So I, I did take it for a while, but I, I'm not taking it at the moment. Um, I'm just taking the methotrexate. Hey, great. Okay. Now I've made a ton of notes as you've talked there. Um, so yeah. let me just, let me just um, echo some things that you experience with my own experience and that of others. And so I might uh, I might speak for a little while. You can jump in if you like. I've just got some notes here, and I got a lot of things that support all the things you're saying. Such a sensational story, so inspirational. And uh, as you say, it's great to share with our community examples of really hard yards. Like every single movement up the football field has come with effort. You know, you haven't. It's not like one of these Hail Marys on the American football where they throw the ball at one end, catch it at the other and score a touchdown. You've had to drive up the middle one after another after another. And it's taken a very long time and very slow. I love your metaphor of the uh, the tide rising slowly as the waves go out and in, out and in. But there's a general slow trend. And, and that's bit uh, was my experience as well. Uh, so I've had two two experiences of battling rheumatoid, the one the one I always speak about, the one on my TED Talk, which went over sort of a four to five year period. And for the most part for me during that time, I, I experienced little to no progress. It was just at first backwards, 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 backwards. And then after that, there were periods of stability. Like one year, for example, I did Bikram yoga almost every single day just so that I could walk. And I was on a raw food diet most of that time. And at the end of the 12 months, I just wasn't worse. And that was my first victory, is not being worse at the end of that year because I'd worsened for the two years prior terribly. And so likewise, uh, mine was an extremely slow burn. And then, of course, I, I spoke about at length in my summit, my Rheumatoid Solutions Summit presentation about the uh, setback that I had from one awful, greasy restaurant meal and how I had to recover from that from a few years back. So, so I've got such, I'm really excited to share these other things just to complement the wonderful information that you, that you um, gave us just then. I love that you've done disease modifying drugs in parallel to the program and not tried to just do the program. Um, when 
rheumatoid arthritis is early diagnosed, it's exactly like you say, it's got its own agenda. And it's so difficult during those first months. I think it's kind of in the first nine to 12 months. It's like an out of control raging bull. And yeah. and rheumatologists will use the phrase, it's a race to remission. That's what Dr. George Munoz has frequently said on our live monthly calls with our members. Uh, he'll say, you know, it's a race to remission. We've got to get the disease under control. And the studies show that the sooner you can get normal blood work and become asymptomatic or in remission, as they medically say, the much better long-term outcomes for patients that are studied with the duration of time it takes to get remission and then how they do long-term. And so you've gone and done medically what's sensible and also commonsensically what's sensible, which is what else can I do? I got to eat, right? I got to eat anyway. I might as well exercise. I might as well get healthier. And you've done that in parallel. So, so I just wanted to say how great that was and bring up something that I share with some people who are sometimes struggling uh, in our support group. And I wanted to read these eight things out, which are the, the only ways that people fail this program. And I put fail in inverted commas because there is no way you can fail. The only fail is giving up and thinking that the science doesn't apply to you. This is science. So it's not like, oh, one person should do keto, the next person can't or the third person autoimmune protocol and someone Patterson program. The science supports completely and, 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 and in a concrete manner that a plant-based diet is optimal based on all the studies that's been done over the last 30 years on diet and rheumatoid. So these are review studies. Not just someone says, hey, here's, here's our study. This is a review of the literature. Three separate reviews of the literature by different groups around the world over the past four years say the same thing. So we haven't got one diet for one, one diet for the next. What we have is a personalization challenge. And this is where people give up. They find challenges and they think, well, I'm on the wrong diet. And it's not that. Its modifications need to be put in place to accommodate the inadequate microbiome that they currently have until their microbiome improves and leaky gut reduces sufficiently that they can tolerate this particular food and that particular food. And I'm about to do a, a podcast about histamines and people have problems with histamines and worry about histamines like fermented foods. That is a red flag indicator of a poor microbiome. It's not that we should be scared of fermented foods because they have histamines. It is a case of, well, I need to improve my gut because I'm getting a red flag to tell me I'm histamine sensitive. It's like allergies are also a microbiome compromised indicator. So yeah. I'm getting it. Yeah. You're exactly right. It, there are you begin to realize the more work you do, well, I certainly have done, how complex this, not only this disease is, but your response to it and how complex your body is. And I really think you, you just have to become your own experiment. You just have to listen to your body. You have to look at what you're doing to it. You have to look at how it responds. And I, I mean, again, with hindsight, I, you know, my, I wish I knew about the red flags that you call them because I think I've had them almost all through my life. And now when I look back, I can see, you know, I got psoriasis when I was nine years old. In my early 20s, I had an allergy test on my arm saying, oh, you seem to be responding to everything <laughs> in a in a mild way. I thought, oh, that's interesting. When I was in my late 20s, really starting off with work and doing some very stressful things like going to lots of conferences, and I started to get sort of stress swellings. My lip would swell or my eye. And it would be like if I was really stressed before a conference, then I'd have to take an antihistamine. And so that's my body saying something. You know, when I was in my the 40s, I got diagnosed with an underactive thyroid gland. So there were all these kind of signals. And also, during a few years, about five years before it started, 
I had this kind of strange illness. I used to call it a perfect storm. And I'd have 24 hours of all I can say was feeling like I'd got a bad hangover, but I hardly drink. I never found the trigger. I don't know what caused it. And my partner used to say, it's going on, like you've got food poisoning. I would just start to feel so ill. I would then be sick. I'd vomit usually um, several times over the 24 hours. And in between vomiting, I'd sleep, a deep sleep. Couldn't lift my head off the pillow. My daughter actually laughed at me once because I think it happened one night after I had had a glass of wine, but a single glass. She said, who doesn't drink? You have uh, the worst hangovers I've ever seen. And that's all. And that was my digestive system. What else could it be? I was Mm. vomiting. Something was going on. I must have been reacting to something, but I could never find the trigger. And it became something that happened to me four or five times a year for about five years. Couldn't find a trigger, don't know what set it off. But it tells me now that my digestive system was in a bad way. Mm. Um, Does that happen? Does that happen anymore? No, no, no. It It hasn't happened for four years since I've changed my diet. It's just disappeared. And, um, you know, so you it's all, it's easy, isn't it, with hindsight? You, you look back and think, wow, I wish I'd see, you know, really. I used to react to food. I reacted to food. In, there was a certain chewy, fruity, sweet. If I had a red one, my face would go hot and mm. I would sweat, just like a chemical reaction to the mm. sweets. And so I was, I, I think I always have been someone who's reacted quickly which actually now I oh well that that's, that's quite a good sign that tells me when I <laughs> I shouldn't be doing something I, you well, know that, now I look at it differently exactly yeah. Ex- exactly so and the and the best example of all of course is the inflammation in the joints which is our ultimate reminder that there's still work to be done yeah. and it is the alarm alarm going off in the fire department to say that there's there's an issue and uh if we ignore that and we just go and sort of cut the cable so the alarm doesn't go off which is to suffocate ourselves with non-steroidals or uh, prednisone and this sort of stuff um whilst that gives us some relief from the i mean that that can be temporarily helpful but ultimately uh until we work out how to just stop that alarm going off by addressing the underlying cause life is always going to be more challenging than it could be let me just uh as i promised i was going to uh let me just finish off with some of the commentary that i had around all the great points that you made i'll just close off the uh the ways in which people can fail as i said in inverted commas on the program because you raised a really good one which was and it's number four on my list which is being newly diagnosed and the condition is developing. And so during this period, some people think that just by eating some more salad that they're going to slow down or reverse the progression of this extremely aggressive onset. Uh, It's not the case. We, at that point, have a big challenge, as we talked about, with the snowball effect. So that's number four. I'll go through the other seven. And number one, inadequate exercise. Daily exercise is 40% of the program. And so you have ticked that box because this is crucial. And you can't just lie in the bed. You must at least begin something. Number two, changing medications prior to starting or during the program, lowering them early. So some people will say, I'm going to start the Patterson program on Monday. Great. I'm going to stop methotrexate. And like that's it just doesn't work like that. So we want to avoid that kind of approach and drop all of our and we don't want to be, you know, dropping non-steroidals on day one, halving our prednisone on day two. This isn't this isn't a way to get predictable and steady positive results. And number three, being on antibiotics, prednisone, or frequent use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or proton pump inhibitors, all which retard the gut healing process. So I've got some people in rheumatoid support, our coaching platform, and for the next three, four months, all we're doing is moving those people off of counterproductive drugs. Because until we achieve that milestone, then we are, it's the, it's the like one step forward, two steps back situation. And so our strategy is let's do this, let's do that, let's do that. And let's get you off 
Some people have been on proton pump inhibitors, antacids, for the past seven years. And one person who's part of our group actually developed rheumatoid arthritis with an otherwise healthy life, healthy family, no family history in her early years. I think she's only in her early 30s because of constant or an association is the correct term, a strong association of heavy use of proton pump inhibitors. So we've got to get off all of this stuff that makes our gut worse. And then we have just a fair battle after that to then begin on the gut healing. Uh, number four, we talked about it's having an early diagnosis. And so the plan there is to make sure we've got suitable disease modifying uh, drug in place to do in parallel. And then number five is the ways that people can fail in inverted commas is being very insufficiently medicated uh, causing really high joint inflammation and consequently uh, simultaneous leaky gut to the extent that natural interventions just can't compete. And this ties in with what happens again in the early stages. And so again, we got to, if we're really under-medicated, uh, give yourself a chance, get some inflammation down with a non-counterproductive drug uh, to the gut and, uh, and take advantage of that. Number six is frequent constipation. If we're backed up, we're not getting our bowels moving, then as, as one guest uh, said on our podcast, it was uh, our guest talking all about vitamin D. And he, he said that literally leaky gut is, is small stool components. It's, it's literally like portions of, of you know, bacteria and stool that's entering your bloodstream. So no wonder your body really reacting to that. So we've got to have frequent constipation. So it's a, uh, sorry, we've got to have bowel movements regularly. And number seven is insufficient intake of bacteria-rich foods like miso or in the form of probiotics. So if one can't tolerate miso and one is not taking probiotics, then you cannot start new culture, new species, if you actually don't have any of them to begin with. It's like, a, it's like the dodo bird, right? We're not going to suddenly have dodo birds do well when we give them more dodo bird food. We need to actually add some dodo birds back into the world if we're ever to see a population of dodo birds. And finally, number eight is the reintroduced reduction of foods faster than the recommended guidelines. And so what I see frequently is by day four, people say, hey, I miss this, that, and the other. Uh, I'm going to skip forward and start eating bread. Hang on a second. Bread took me two years to eat. Uh, and so maybe I was really conservative, but uh, there is a sequence of foods for a reason. So uh, that's number eight. And that's why another reason why some people might say, hey, it, it, it isn't working or I'm not getting the results. So you can see, I think you, you put it well, is that we have, there's a lot of complexity in our health and we like to intellectualize and believe we have great knowledge of how the digestive system works just because we've, 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 you know, read a little bit or listened to our podcast a little bit about leaky gut, about bacterial overgrowth and autoimmunity. And we feel we have some basics. I know less than probably 0.1% of what's going on in the gut. And I've been looking at this for a good part of 10 years. It is so complicated. In fact, let me show you, let me show you something. I'm going to move my, uh, my video around here. My floor, see what, see those on the floor there. They're all scientific studies. Okay, so we've got intake of polyunsaturated fatty acids, cell membrane composition. What have I got there? Negative effects of a high fat diet. Um, what's that other one? Omega 3 fatty acids and inflammatory processes. These are just things I'm reading this week. And so with all this going on all the time, I think I know about 0.1% of how the body works digestively. It is complicated. However, yeah. we, we, we can also learn anecdotally from stories like yourself, from my experience, and now hundreds and hundreds of people who have shared stories like ours. And what we learn is that the principles work. The principles are wor working. So um, You see, I, I think that's great, Brent, that you say that you You've been doing all this studying and learning it, and you you have like been doing an enormous amount of research and and you realize how little you know. Because I used to work with students, and when they used to come in the first year, because I used to work with them for three years till they get their degree, and uh, I would say to them, you know, they would come in thinking they kind of knew loads because you do at that age. And I would say, I, I hope that by the third year you realize how little you know. 
and they would look at me as though I was crazy because I think that's when you really truly understand the depth of something and the complexity of something, you know, and, yeah. and you're right. There's so much research going on at the moment, isn't there, about that area? Of oh, like yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 And you know what, this is what I predict, and I believe that I'll die before this is proven because I think it'll take this long, is that I actually think we already know what to do. We know what to do. We are doing it. And it'll take another couple of decades for science to prove that what we've got here is pretty close to what I think will ultimately, you know, be, I'm hoping, the ideal path for autoimmune diseases in the future because you know if people some sometimes like particularly arthritis charities will criticize our program on their website when people the charity members in their community say what about patterson program they say well there isn't any published evidence on that well i believe that i believe that there's so much evidence that i i'm i'm like i don't see whether or not having us present the same sort of information that Dr. McDougall did about 20 years ago, which is plant-based diets reduce C-reactive protein dramatically in patients with rheumatoid arthritis in 10 days. Me doing something similar just gets overlooked. What we need is people like you and all the people who listen to our podcast to just show up so much better to their rheumatologist and just talk about this and say, this is what I'm doing. And eventually the response of, well, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it, will eventually change to, oh, another person doing Patterson program. I guess I probably should look into this. And the science is there. Pattersonprogram.com forward slash guide, G-U-I-D-E, guide for rheumatologists. And half of the studies on the floor here is helping me write my book and the book's going to be done by July. That's my plan. I've got a medical writer working with me. So anyway, Look, we've had a lot. We, we, you, you've stimulated so much sort of uh, content, things that I'm thinking about through what you've shared with me. So it's been really, really. Um, uh, you put the sort of the the fuel into my um, uh, my uh, what's the word? <laughs> fuel into my vehicle. Um, I think is there a couple other things I wanted to say? Oh, with elbows, with elbows, try and do some pull ups. Okay, right. get an get yep. an overhead bar. Because I reckon probably, I don't, I don't know, because it's hard to know, even when it's your own body, whether or not it's tendonitis or synovitis, but elbows, right. um, my elbows, one had surgery, one was inflamed for four years. Uh, pull-ups, just try and do some pull-ups. Even if you can't even lift your body weight, just try, 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 uh, get a pull-up bar. Okay. That is so timely you saying that because the other day I visited my brother and he's got scaffolding at the side of his house. Yep. And I actually said, you know what, that's a good height for yep. pull up. He'd yep. used it to um, heal his frozen shoulder that he'd had there a while ago. And I actually yep. So I, that's very timely. Yeah, I'll yep. try that. Yeah, and do it at the gym if the gym's open as well. Do it every day. Just attempt to hold your body weight and attempt to pull up uh, with one little caveat. Uh, Don't hang completely uh, such that your elbows are completely in extension, right, basically as long as they can, until you've built great strength in the biceps and triceps because otherwise all the weight goes through the joint. So have a little bend in your elbows when you start doing this until you're getting stronger and stronger, and then you can attempt a complete free hang, okay? Yeah, thank you. Uh, And then I think, oh, yeah, pulling up your covers with your teeth. I used to do that. I talked about that, I think, in my TED Talk. That used to be something I did every single night. Um, My knees like yours, just trying to get off the bed, excruciating. And that's everything. that's all the notes I wanted to to add. Thank you. This has been fun. I've, I feel more energy than what I did when we started and we've been chatting for a while. So thank you very much. It's been wonderful. Keep up the great thank work, you. Yvonne. Oh, well, I certainly will. I There's still so much to do, but, oh, no, I just hope that, you know, someone gets something from from listening to this. I still remember bits now that really resonated with me. You did a podcast with a young guy called Danny, I think, from 
he went swimming lots and it, it made me think, yeah, yeah I, I really love swimming. I'll do that. And he also said something. He said, look, you said something like, well, you're putting a lot of energy into your exercise. And, and this guy said, hey, you know, it's a very um, savage disease you have to come back at it with just as much energy and he i'm paraphrasing but he said something that really made me think yeah this is this is this needs massive action this isn't just you know i can't just play at this and so i did get an enormous amount from you know little snippets that people would say in in the podcast um and it was very very important to me and obviously um so grateful for you putting everything out there and for this resource um, you've created, which I was thinking the other day is like um, every stage I've been on, the Patterson programme has been brilliant for. So that early stage, it gave me so much hope. It kind of made me feel empowered that I could take back a bit of responsibility. I could work with the doctors. I could do something. And it gave, and I don't think I would have had that otherwise, not just from going to the hospital or whatever. So that was so important for that and all the podcasts and all the bits. And then um, when you're really trying to figure things out or you feel you're falling off track, you've got the wonderful supportive where you can just ask a question and lots of people come back with answers in a really supportive way I don't you know amazing amazing Ellen just comes up all the time with her wonderful thumbs up or well done and and like that and so you feel that yeah you can when you're trying to figure things out you can find out how to do it and now I use it just the, the thought that it's there and it's developed into such an enormous resource where you can think, oh, yeah, uh, I wonder what Clint thinks about, I don't know, vitamin D3. Let's have a look at the resources. And, and, what, and you can just look up. It's like an encyclopedia now. You just have to kind of look this stuff up. And, and that's an amazing comfort to think it's there. I mean, I, I knew when I was like feeling confused about COVID and and what happens to people like us with our immune system, I wasn't getting much clear information from anyone, but I thought, I know, I'm going to look at the Paddison program, Clint will be on this. And you were, and it was, it was sort of your discussions and your talks with doctors and whatever that, that put me at rest. And so it's an amazing resource, which I'm sure, you know, and um, thank you very much just for, existing and putting it out there Brilliant. well thank you Yvonne. much 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 gratitude and uh let's keep up the good work and keep doing what we're doing uh no complacency hard work discipline and feel happy about every little extra little victory that we we do whether it be able for yourself to, to hold your body weight maybe in a few months on a pull-up bar uh and for me i want to like i'm up to almost 10 pull-ups, 10 chin-ups back-to-back in one session. So I'm working on that. So, you know, got always improvement to make. And thank you for today. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.